and welcome to yet another episode of Cowgirls and Indians. I am the cowgirl, Christina Cook. And I'm the Indian, Keith Nobles. And uh, we're doing this podcast because we're trying to we're trying to give everybody a framework for really understanding the progressive left. You know, they, their actions a lot of times, Keith, seem to really come out of left field. It's like, how did they come up with that? You know, or why are they why are they saying that? You know, what what piece of that is it fits into all of this and civil discourse and all of that. So we've been exploring in the past few episodes kind of the the overall the 35,000 foot framework, if you will. Right. Yeah. And what, what we talked about, the new man. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what the new man is? Well, the idea of all these. So it all goes back to roots in that 19th century German philosophy. That you can create a new man by changing the environment he exists in. Right. And you change the environment he exists in by force, compulsion, coercion. And you can cure the faults and the evils and shortcomings of humanity simply by creating this new environment, this new world. Right. It'll create a new man. <laughs> sure. <laughs> it's like a recipe to them, right? Uh, uh, yeah, it sort of is like a recipe. And we've talked about before these things, communism, Marxism, Nazism, fascism are all just different strategies to try to achieve that, that same end goal. Right. And so is American progressivism of 2023. Okay. I mean, that's that's really what we're looking at. I mean, yeah. it's, it, it doesn't change. It doesn't matter if no, we're talking about It's just about the, another strategy to try and achieve this end goal. Exactly. Of creating this new man. Yes. So basically, in order to create the new man, they have to control all of the environments, all of the inputs. Right. Yeah. And so so power is the primary motivator here. Yeah, exactly. And in, in order to, to create that, because freedom is messy. Right. It, well, <laughs> in this whole classical mode of thinking that we've discussed in previous episodes, people grapple with the truth. What is the truth? How best to implement the truth? Right. Progressivism, as well as these other ideologies that try to implement these the strategy. All these isms. Yes. Uh, believe they know the truth. Right. They believe they have the truth. They can never tell you what that end state will be. Right. Right. They never tell you what they have to do to achieve that end state. They just want you to trust them that they have all the answers. Well, and, and it's in part because truth, absolute truth doesn't really exist for them. It, it's whatever they've made up. Well, right? objective truth of reality is philosophically discarded. Right. It's not useful to them. Right. So they ignore it. And along with that are going to reject the idea of objective truth and reality. You're also going to reject objective evidence that your ideas suck. <laughs> and, and that's very much been the problem with all these strategies to implement this. Right. Is there is no such thing to them as objective evidence that their ideas are bad. Right. It's just the belief we're just not doing enough of it. Evidence is to be discarded if it, if it contradicts in any way exactly. what they're looking at. Exactly. It's just part and parcel of, of rejecting objective truth and reality. It's sort of the anti-scientific method, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it very much is. <laughs> Which is, uh, you know, kind of an interesting observation given the last few years in, yes. uh, in, the, in, the, in the world, how we follow the science. Anyway, uh, without diving into that morass, because that could be another three episodes right there. You know, one of the things and, and I think part of what we want to do with this podcast is we want to talk about their actual tactics and, and hang those tactics on this framework yeah. you know, and, and be able to flesh this out. So one that we see repeatedly over and over and over and over again is this this charge of racism. Yes. Um, this this charge that, you know, anything, anything that doesn't agree with them is, is you know, that person is a white supremacist. You know, I mean, whatever it is, it, it's always goes back to race, always, always, always goes back to race. Right. 
And I wanted to talk to you, you know, you and I have talked offline several times, many times about whether or not the United States is a racist country. So let's let's talk about that. Is the United States at its base a racist country as they accuse? No. Okay. Absolutely not. End of podcast. There you go. <laughs> well, yeah, it could be. Except for understanding why they need to make this claim. Right. That's really the gist of, of understanding this is not, is America a racist nation? America was founded on, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Right. That is the most non-racist statement in history. All men of are all political statements. Equal. All yes. men are created equal. We're the only nation founded on this idea. Okay. In, in the history of the world. Well, let me let me push back with the with the progressive arguments. Okay. Let's, let's dismantle these, and then and then we can go on to why that why they're making this claim over and over and over and over <laughs> again. The the first thing that comes to mind when you read that statement from from our Declaration of Independence, which is really the the moral center of the United States. I mean, it, it's the moral declaration of who we are as a people, right? It is the justification for why we should exist. Exactly. So. All men are created equal. What do you mean by men? Is that white men? That's white men who own property? Is that is that what you mean by white, you know, by all men are created equal? No, we okay. mean everyone. Okay. And that's what the founders meant. Okay. Well, and that's what the words say. Yes. But they say, they, the left, say that that's not what they meant. They would be wrong. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and we can delve into why they were wrong. Let's do that. Let's, let's so do that a bit. this whole argument here that that's not what it meant. Didn't really come about until about 30 years after the Constitution. Okay. It came about with the rise of the Democratic Party. And the Democratic Party is founded on these two pillars, one of which was the preservation and expansion of slavery, and the other one was Indian removal. Right. That's what the Democratic Party was founded on. The Democratic Party is founded on explicitly racist grounds. Well, the history of slavery is the history of the Democratic Party. Right? Well, yeah, the history of racism is history of the Democratic Party. History of Democratic Party is the history of racism in America. But this party is founded on explicitly racist grounds. And what they very often do, the progressives, so starting 1820s, really, Democrats, and some of whom were very eloquent, were quite talented at rhetoric, like Calhoun, started making these arguments that slavery and racism was always part and parcel of the United States. Okay. And these were the justifications they used for why the Democratic Party should be the explicitly racist party. And now you have progressives today picking up and see that's what America was. Well, no, that's what the Democratic Party was. Right. This was not what America was. We fought eventually a civil war to end slavery. 720,000 people or so were likely killed or died right. in that war. Right. So the idea that that many people gave their lives when they all agreed with the Democrats? <laughs> no, no. People gave their lives because what they found the Democrats to believe and say to be reprehensible. Absolutely. Even back then. Right. You had this situation after the Constitution where slavery was left up to the states as a compromise situation because when the Constitution was debated, Georgia and South Carolina both claimed if slavery wasn't maintained, they would leave the Union. Right. And the drafters of the Constitution decided on Union and decided to table the slavery question for 20 years. And also at that point in time, and let's just put some context around the Constitution, the Constitutional Convention of 1789, slavery was already on its way out. 
In some places. In some places. Yes. I mean, the, the seeds of it had already been sown. Oh, was, absolutely. You know, we had abolitionists absolutely. in the north. We have the same debate with the Declaration of Independence, whether to put in there. Right. That the King of England had, had forced slavery upon us because before the American Revolution, there were colonies that had attempted to outlaw slavery and the King of England had prohibited that. Okay. So, so he was absolutely committed to keeping Yes, the, the King of England was absolutely committed to keeping slavery. And to keeping the institution of slavery alive. So that's, that's fascinating. So we're, we've, we're fighting a war. We fought a war. We won a war against yes. that guy and yes. against that idea. With this declaration, this, this sentence in the Declaration of Independence proclaiming that all men are created yes. equal as part of our moral justification for existence. Yes. And they, yet they claim that, you know, in 1789... Yes. So, yeah, but that's not what happened in 1789. Because we didn't completely outlaw it. All yeah, once we, we tabled it for 20 years. 20 years to the day later, the United States outlawed the slave trade. Right. Could bring more slaves in. Right. It's written and, into the Constitution. I mean, it's not written as the African slave trade. It doesn't use those words, but that the trade itself was outlawed by the Constitution. No, 20 years later. 20 years later. Yes. Yes. 20 years was, later. 20 years later, it will end. Yes. And what happens is after the Constitution is passed, States start outlawing slavery one by one by one by one. Okay. All right. Democratic Party is really formed to stop this. <laughs> right. I understand that, that critical truth. And the other thing that happens in that 30 years between the Constitution and the Democratic Party. I'm laughing because wouldn't Democrat leaders of today be shocked to understand that about their own party. I think they fully understand that about their own party. Dude, they are yeah. still the party of racism. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll get around to talking about that. Yeah. Because the other thing that happens here, George Washington being the first president has the first Indian policy. Okay. George Washington's Indian policy is to invite the Indian nations into the family. He invites the Indian nations to become Americans. Right. Five Indian nations will accept that offer. We, the Cherokee, will be the first. 1807, we will send the ridge to the White House. He will tell Thomas Jefferson, we accept the offer. We will become Americans. We will, in 1811, declare ourselves a republic. We will, in 1827, become a constitutional republic. But from that day forward, we consider ourselves to be Americans. Right. To this day, we right. consider ourselves to be Americans. So you have states outlawing slavery. You have Indian nations accepting this offer to become Americans. Right. And this upsets people who want to be Democrats horribly. Of course. Both these things. Of course. Because, yeah, the Democratic Party is founded in explicit opposition to these two things, outlawing slavery and Indian nations becoming Americans. I mean, it's really critical to understand. It is critical to understand. I just I it's amazing to me that this isn't taught in schools, first of all. It isn't talked about regularly that these are the these are the foundations of the Democrat Party and, and that they they have completely and fully continued to embrace that ever since their founding 200 years ago. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Democratic Party is the party of Indian removal. Right. Andrew Jackson, the Democrats said, told the Indian nations, you are not Americans. You cannot be Americans. You will never be Americans. Right. Revoke the offer from George Washington after five tribes had accepted it. And then passed the Indian Removal Act in 1830, forcing the tribes east of the United States to relocate to the Great Plains. Right. Yeah, this is what it's all based on. Right. Right. And the Democratic Party becomes the party that secedes from the Union the Civil War. Right. Right. Of course. And then they become the trying party of Jim the Crow, the party of the yeah. Ku Klux Klan. Continually trying to protect that, that institution of proclaiming 
one person or one group of people due to their race, due to their skin color as being inferior to themselves. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the Democratic Party was very much found to refute the idea that all men are created equal. Right. And that is true to this day. And people really need to understand it was just basic philosophical aspects of progressivism. One of those basic philosophical aspects is progressivism denies all men are created equal. Right. I Some mean, animals are more equal. To yeah, yeah. If you, yeah, I mean, there's just basic things people need to figure out what they believe about humanity. Right. And adopt politics that reflect that. And if you believe all men are created equal, you can't be a Democrat. You can't be a progressive. Right. That's just the, the bottom line. Unless, unless you redefine what man means. Well, right. But, but Which is kind of what they're in the, in the process well, of doing. Yeah, but all days. they're doing, I mean, Democrats made this up in the 1820s to defend racism that was dying in America right. at that time. Right. And, and this is just nonsense that they created. And then progressives today point to Democrat nonsense of then to, that this absolute fiction. Yeah. And they go, well, see, that's what America believes. No, that is what Democrats believed. The rest of the country stood in opposition to that. You have a you have a marvelous metaphor that you shared with me about this. It's, it's like being invited to somebody's house for a pool party, peeing in the pool and then going around and complaining that somebody peed in the pool. Well, without ever admitting you're the one who peed <laughs> exactly. in the pool. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly what it is. It it's is. exactly what this is. And, and this whole idea that America is racist. Some of it is pure fiction people put forward. The great bulk of that is simply omitting data, omitting history, not telling people what happened. Right. You have things like the 1619 Project. Yeah. And other people of that ilk who date the founding of the United States to 1619. Right. No, the United States was founded July 4th, 1776. It was founded on the statement, all men are created equal. Right. That's what launched the United States. The United States were colonized beginning in 1619. Well, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, so they, they, just, they take, they conflate the two. And I think it's important to understand that they're conflating the two because you sent me a great transcription of a speech that was given by Frederick Douglass in 1860 yeah. in Scotland. And he talks very explicitly about how there's a difference between the governance of the United States and the Constitution of the United States. Understand that the Constitution itself stands alone and the words speak for themselves. And that's the thing that the Democrats want to reject. You know, they, they don't believe that the words speak for themselves. They don't believe that you can interpret those words. They believe the people who draft the Constitution were just as duplicitous as they are. Uh, right. I mean, that's really the bottom line. Because let me, let me quote something Frederick Douglass said in 1858. He said, my fellow citizens, interpreted as it ought to be, the Constitution is a glorious liberty document. Read its preamble. Consider its purposes. Is slavery among them? The Constitution contains principles and purposes entirely hostile to the very existence of slavery. And this was Frederick Douglass, a Fred black man, a former slave, an escaped slave. Correct? Yes, an escaped slave who became perhaps the foremost anti-slavery voice in the country prior to the Civil War. Right. And then you have, you know, Nicole Hannah-Jones, who claims America is a nation with the soul of a forced labor camp. Right. And so there's an assumption here by these people, like Ms. Hannah-Jones, that somehow she understands slavery better than Frederick Douglass did. Right. No, she does not. Right. It's an absurdity. It is. But they don't just ignore Frederick Douglass. What they do is take snippets of what he said and then use that. So their speech is like, what is the 4th of July to a slave? Right. That people should 
absolutely read. Everyone should read. Yeah. The Constitution of the United States is a pro-slavery or anti-slavery was another speech he gave. And yeah, people need to read these speeches in their entirety. Progressive websites will take snippets of these speeches right. and say, see what Frederick Douglass believed. They'll omit the whole speech. Right, because it's 180 degrees from what he believed. It's 180 degrees from what they maintain is true. Right. So absolutely, what they will... So, so they're, they're taking sound bites out of uh, context, even from way back when. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Just like they're, they're repeating what Democrat politicians said in the 1820s, 30s, 40s, 50s. Right. And say, well, this is America believed. No, that's what Democrats believed. Right. Right. Why, why don't we read the opposite? And let's 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 remember still believe. Yes. You know, I mean, that's that's the thing and that, that's important to remember and why why we're talking about history that passed, you know, 200 years ago is because that intellectual legacy still lives on in Democrats today. Yes. Even though they have, you know, the skin color that equals that of Frederick Douglass, they do not understand from whence they came and they, or they do understand and they're willing to exploit it for power. Well, no, and that's exactly it. We're going to exploit it for power. We should we should talk about something really fundamental here. OK. About progressivism. OK. And this makes you started out this podcast trying to explain what we're trying to do. Okay. Right. So people can understand this because so much of it seems contradictory and absolutely insane. <laughs> but once and you start to see the framework, it's like you can't unsee it. You can't unsee how right, it fits together. Right. Yeah. So, so it's a really important parts of this. Okay. We've talked about progressives philosophically at its core, deny objective truth, objective reality, deny objective evidence. Right. But what they also deny is that moral agency has any effect on your life. Okay, explain that term moral agency. Okay, the belief that you make moral decisions that you can be accountable for that will actually have a meaningful effect on yourself and on others around you. Okay, I think the key part of that that I'm hearing is that I am responsible for. Well, yeah, it, it, that moral agency matters at all. The, the right. basic progressive argument is moral agency doesn't matter. Nothing you can say or do, none of your moral decisions are going to have any effect on anything in the grand scheme of things. Now, we know this isn't true. Absolutely. But they have to maintain this because what they essentially do is replace moral agency with political agency. They claim your moral decisions don't matter, but your political decisions matter. If you go back, we're all familiar with the term politically correct. Yeah. <laughs> and that term goes back probably a lot farther than most people think. It goes back to the 1930s. Okay. And American communists, American Bolsheviks, and the term referred to are you politically correct? Are you doing what the party wants? Which meant, are you doing what Stalin wants? Right. Right. And, and the idea behind that is that everything is political because that's what these people believe. Everything is political. Who you date, it's, who you marry. What car who, you drive. Yeah. Who you're friends you with, with, where yeah. you live, whatever your sexual habits may be. Right. But what you eat, everything is political. Right. So if you understand this, that they don't believe there is moral agency. They don't believe there's right or wrong moral decisions. There's only right or wrong political decisions. Right. Right. That's that's the gist of it. So there's so many examples of this. Let me give a couple. So we know in the United States, if you graduate high school, if you avoid having a child prior to marriage, if you don't commit a felony, if you avoid substance abuse, if you get married, stay married. If you get your first job before the age of 20 and spend at least a year in your first job, your chances of dying in poverty in this country are about the same as getting hit by lightning. Really? Yeah. And, it's not and, a tough formula, by the way. Well, it, no, tell you what, most of us fall short on more and more of these. But the point is, even if you fall short on these things in the United States, you're not doomed. You just made it harder on yourself. Mm -hmm. But 
if you do these things, statistically speaking, you're not going to die in poverty. No matter how poor you are when you started, no matter what race you are, no matter who your parents were, right. if you do these things, you end up doing okay. Right. So the progressives hate this because this entire formula to escape poverty is premised on moral agency. Right. It's premised on making moral decisions. It's not, which, there's not one thing on there that says vote for the right guy, right, no, drive the no, right no, car, no, you know, make sure that. that you attack this person on Facebook, you know, repeatedly and get all your friends to do so as well. Or, you know, dox this bad politician. That no, person that no, you no, it's none of that is in there. No, it's all individual moral agency, making right. individual moral decisions to have a profound outcome on your life. And the fewer of these things you do, the more challenging you make your life. Right. So here's the example. Why are we not teaching this in school? You want to escape poverty? Do these things. <laughs> but no, we're teaching gender fluidity. Yeah, right. Instead of this. That I mean, this is actual one of our next episodes. Actual information people can have. Right. It will have profound impact. But progressives can't go there because it's all moral agency. Right. Right. It's making so, the right decisions and taking responsibility for your yeah, life. Exactly. When you see these horrible mass shootings. Yeah. It doesn't matter who did it, why they did it, where they did it. The script is the same for the Democrats. Right. For yeah. the progressives. Yeah. Right. It's more taxes, more laws, more regulations. And Republicans are fomenting hate. Right. Yes. It doesn't matter. <laughs> nothing matters. It's the same response. There's nothing here about that. There's a moral agency to people doing this. These people are never. Yeah. The shooters are never responsible unless unless they can. Well, but they can never prove that it's somebody on the right. So it's always that person's the victim. Republicans are the are the evil ones. And they are trying yeah, it's to get just more a power script. It, it does nothing to solve a problem. None. They're just repeating from a script. If but, anything, it does something. It does much more to exacerbate the problem. Well, yeah, it exacerbates the problem because this denial of moral agency is simply nihilism. Right. Right. It's this rejection of this, this 5,000 year pattern of classical thinking, of seeking after truth, of looking for what is honorable, what is noble, what is beautiful, and what is useful. Right. They reject that. Right. And they replace it, yeah, with this nihilism. Nothing matters. Nothing you're going to do in your life matters. No moral decision you make is going to matter. And when people take them at their word about that, do something like shoot up a school or a store, yeah. they're like, well, we had nothing to do with that. Well, wait a minute. But you're teaching people nothing matters. And when people act on that, you pretend it's somebody else's fault. Sounds to me like that's the real definition of stochastic terrorism, however yeah. you pronounce it. <laughs> right? And yeah. they're creating the environment in which these things are more likely. Yeah, if you're telling people nothing you do matters. There's right. no beauty in your life. There's nothing honorable, nothing noble, nothing useful. Nothing worth striving for. Nothing worth yeah, yeah. There's only politics. Right. Only politics. That's the message they said because philosophically that is what they believe. Right. Right. So let's let's take this back into to racism. They level this charge all the time. Sure. They call me a racist. They call you a racist. If you vote Republican, you're a racist. If you if you voted for Trump, you're a white supremacist. If you happen to show up to a, a peaceful protest on January 6th, no matter what you think about what happened on January 6th, it was a peaceful protest, at least to start. Right. OK. And, and you know, the other people can debate the finer points of that. But they call you a racist and a white supremacist and, for and, simply showing up. Yeah, and we're right back to the whole there is no moral agency. Right, right. Right. If if they believe nothing they do morally, good or bad, makes any difference. Right. 
It's all about politics. It's, it's all about political power. And so it's, you're evil if you don't agree with their politics. It's just that's a that's a simple dichotomy, right? Well, well it's not even if you don't agree. So if you don't agree today, because it can very well be different tomorrow, <laughs> because whatever they find politically useful today could be different tomorrow. Let's put it this way. If you don't subscribe wholeheartedly, and I mean subscription in the very literal sense of that, that you've, you've signed up and you're going you're well, to follow that no matter where it leads. Right? Well, yeah, if you're willing to renounce what you said yesterday is evil because right. there's a new narrative today. But again, we're back to all the objective evidence that this is bad for society. Right. Right. Homelessness, mental illness, crime, incarceration, addiction, depression, suicide, all these things are rising. The more of this we get, they're not going down. No. No. Right. And the whole progressive answer is, well, we're just not doing enough of it. We're not doing enough of it or you're a racist well, for, for expecting any different outcome. You're a racist for wanting people to not live on the streets. Yeah. Let's just take homelessness and, for one. And we've talked before. So in this classical model of thinking, the idea that the ends justify the means is reprehensible logic and moral thinking. Right. But for progressives, that's the golden rule. Yes, this is true. Right? I mean, it's true, right? It's just the golden rule. The ends justify the means. So Whatever means I have to use are acceptable if I can get to the end I want. Because the end is is for them, and I'm I'm putting this in air quotes because they don't believe in moral agency, but it's it's morally justified. It's 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 politically justified. It is politically justified in their mind. Mm-hmm. And they believe this end will be so wonderful. Right. Right. That it's worth whatever means they have to use to acquire that end. And whoever and of they course, have to run over in order to get from there. From the Soviet Union to Nazi Germany to fascist Italy to Vietnam to Cambodia to China. We see what those means look like. Right. They're the same everywhere. Those means are depriving people of not just human rights, depriving human beings of their dignity. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there is no dignity without freedom. No, well, I mean, really? Well, the whole idea that, that an individual human being has any measure of dignity is, again, rejected by this philosophy. Individual humans do not have dignity. Only the collective has dignity. Right. That's in part here. I'm, I'm tying together what we were talking about earlier. All men are created equal. Each is endowed with his, by his creator with an unalienable rights. So that yes. is anathema to what you just said about what progressives believe. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the idea all men are created this equally with the same natural rights is a statement that all men ever created have the same level of dignity. So, and if they want to degrade themselves, like say a Hitler, mm-hmm. that's their choice. If they want to ennoble themselves, that's their choice. And the whole idea here behind progressivism, behind this 19th century German philosophy is your moral agency doesn't matter. Your choices don't matter. Your choices don't matter. You cannot you cannot degrade yourself. You cannot ennoble yourself. Only it's, society can do that, right? Well, only the political collective right. can do that. Right. Right. And so that's a much more precise term for what we're talking about than just society. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah the political they, collective. Yeah. 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 I mean, Bastiat said almost 200 years ago, right? Socialism. Yeah, confuses society with government. Yeah. <laughs> right? right. And that was an observation he made yeah, 180 years ago. Right. And it's it's just so true. They cannot, they don't start see a differentiation between the political, the cultural, and the social. It's to all them, the they're all political. It's all the same. And we go right back to the idea everything is political. And this is why our society is going insane. 
because not everything should be political. What is political should be a tiny, tiny, tiny part of our life. Well, and that's the whole idea behind the United States, behind the Constitution, constraining the government, putting it in its box, which I think Bastiat also spoke about. Right. Fun, fun fact, Bastiat is the reason I got into politics at all. Oh. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I remember exactly where I was when I read the law and I, well, I read it in about an hour. No, it's it's about putting government in its box and leaving it there, you know, putting chains on it and making sure that it does not encroach on the rest of our lives, which is where the moral agency comes into play. Right. It's understanding government has a specific role to protect rights and property. Exactly. That's that's the role of government. That's it. And for progressivism, the role of government is all encompassing. And and I'm thinking that. Tell me if I'm wrong here in making this observation. So so government as as again, just riffing off of Bastiat for a little bit. Bastiat was the one, I think, who pointed out that um, government is power or government is force. Yes. Let me, let me be more, more precise. So force is how well, you can, he was the first one, but maybe he, the best. I, <laughs> it was the one that made the most impression on me. <laughs> so, yes. so so if government is force and the only way that you can get your ideal man, your new man to come about is by forcing other people to act and, and do the things that you want them to do, then that's why progressives are going to take over the government. That's why they are every single ounce of fiber of their being is aimed at that objective. Yes. Am, am I right in making no, that? No, you're, you're absolutely right. So given that and given that they have to tear down, I mean, really, they have to destroy the United States in order to achieve this. They have they to have destroy to, the moral they always have to. It. They always have to delegitimize the existing culture. Okay. So That's, not just the U.S. I mean, we're talking... Anywhere. It and, doesn't any, matter. China, Vietnam, Germany, Russia, Italy. It doesn't matter. The point is to acquire this power to create the new man, you have to delegitimize the previous culture. Basically delegitimize everything that's come before, all of the yes. societal institutions that exist that, that represent a, a collective intergenerational transfer of, in, of intelligence and knowledge. Yes. Um, you know, like marriage, the church, education, you know, whatever it family. is. Family. Family. Exactly. Yeah. Especially nuclear family. I mean, that's that's definitely been on their on their sites. They have to destroy all of that in order to implement this political power. To recreate their their culture they desire. Is it because those institutions foster liberty at their core? No. Okay. Not necessarily. Okay. The czar certainly did foster liberty. Okay. But they had to delegitimize that culture to produce the culture that Lenin and Stalin wanted to produce. Is there is there some psychological no, purpose? You just don't, no, you just don't want people. They want to start with a blank slate. Okay. Right. That's really it. And, and build from a blank slate. But what they do, uh, Thomas Sowell puts this very eloquently, much better than I, I think I Thomas Sowell ever put anything in. But yeah, but, <laughs> but the assumption here is, yeah, they have nothing to learn for the last 5,000 years. Right. We have 5,000 years of accumulated knowledge, experience. What was a good idea? What was a bad idea? Why right. people made decisions? Why they didn't make decisions? And the idea here, progressives have, and, and all these Nazis, communists, Marxists, it's fascists, right? All these strategies to implement this goal. Mm-hmm. So we believe, this, those of us who adhere to this, this classical mode of thinking, history is instructive. We can learn from other people's decisions. We can see how human nature tends to repeat. And most importantly, we give context to the present because right. we know the present came about because of this long series of decisions that people previous to us have made. Right. Right. It provides depth to the world we live in and understanding. So you're not just going crazy and being hopeless and told what was true yesterday is false today. Right. Right. And so 
want to see how decisions have played out environments before us so we can make good decisions. We can learn. It would be the rational way to do it. Yeah, exactly. We can learn from what people have done in the past and what worked well and, and what could be improved upon mm-hmm. and all those sorts of things. Changing history is beyond fruitless. It's just destructive to, to human beings. Every time we attempt to deny or change history or warp it to our ideology, what is lost is context for the present. Right. And that's what we're experiencing right now with progressivism, right? We're losing context around our present. This postmodern school of thought attempts to assign roles of good or evil for historical events and people. And often those, those roles of good or evil are based solely on race, ethnicity, gender, ideology, or religion. They then evaluate history through assigning those roles and attempt to change and redefine history to fit their ideology. It's an absolute loss of context. Well, and, and, and again, it's, I mean, they, they don't believe in good or evil. They, they don't believe in moral agency. They don't believe in any of that stuff. They believe in a political expediency. So assigning those labels and doing the things that they've done in terms of, of destroying our history or trying to destroy our history is done simply with the goal of trying to create more political power. Yes. Is that yeah, trying to create the, Yes. Yes. In, in a short. Yeah. But that political power to them is, like I said, all encompassing. Right. It's, it's everything. Everything about you. Right. Is political. Every single thing about you right. is political right. and needs to be controlled and adjusted and guided toward they think is the optimum end result. Of course, if human beings are inherently flawed, the people doing this are inherently flawed. Surprise. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Exactly. So it's going to end in failure every single time. And that's just failure. Misery, poverty and death. Yes. I mean, that is the path. And we see that. Today, you don't have to look far no. to see misery, poverty, and death. You go to any major city and you see homeless people living in numbers that we couldn't even imagine 20, 30 years ago. Right. Right. We see addiction rates. One preceding the other. Yeah. 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 Well, in large part. Yeah. In but even, yeah. No, not even among necessarily the homeless, just general addiction rates. General addiction rates. But I, I, it's my personal belief that the addiction rates are what's driving the homeless problem. So to the large degree. To, to, yeah, we see mental illness rates. There are some people who estimate 30% of Americans are on some sort of mental illness-oriented drug. Right. 30%. Well, it's subject for another, for another podcast, but I believe that the way the medications aside, the way that we're handling mental illness in this country is is driving so much more so many more problems um, oh yeah that, that just on top of on top of the addictions on top of of all of that but you're right misery poverty and death i mean that's that's all that we're looking at and all you have to do is look at any of the ism countries right now yes. look at communism in china and you know look at those people wanting to be free and the, and the, the protests in taiwan yes. against or in protests in hong kong against coming under that rule, you know, because they know what's coming. They actually paid attention in history class and they understand right. exactly what's coming. Theocracies in Iran and, and Afghanistan and how miserable they are. Yes. You know, and, and what they're trying to, what, what Putin is trying to re-implement basically in, in Russia and trying to you know, get the band back together with the USSR, which he may or may not be doing. But I mean, definitely is not benefiting what, it, what he is doing is not benefiting the Russian people at this point in time. No. Why the Ukrainians are fighting part of the reason why the Ukrainians are fighting so hard against such an invasion always ends in misery, poverty and death. And, and people just don't seem to grasp this no, in and, this country. And, they and don't the core reason it. always ends those things. The other day, it's nihilism. Right. There's nothing there to believe in. Right. But the political power of other people. 
that's that's all there is. And that is about as hopeless a position as you could possibly hope to put yourself into. Sure. And, and as this ascends, all kinds of people who live progressivism think they'll be the ones in power. <laughs> Isn't that always the case? They never are. <laughs> right. right? I mean, it's like I, I told a fellow oh, some years ago, a fellow worked for me had a Che Guevara screensaver on his computer at work. <laughs> and I asked him, I said, well, do you also have the Ted Bundy and Charles Manson screensavers? <laughs> and he's like, what do you mean? I go, I thought you had the serial killer series. <laughs> he's like looking at me, right? Uh-huh, and, uh-huh. Uh, you he know, thought he was, he was for the people. Uh, exactly what he thought. He was for the people. Che Guevara was a great guy. And yeah, I told him, you know, Che Guevara would, would have you shot. Yeah. Right. We're working at a startup company in Boulder, Colorado, hoping all to be millionaires. Right. And yeah, Chick Guevara would have you shot. Pretty antithetical to what he yeah. does. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, I told him, I go, you know, if these people had, you want to be in power, had power. For sure, I'd be the first one lined up against the wall, but you'd be second one right after me. Right. Do you not understand this? Right. Right. It's just a, a the last disconnect from the reality well, of any of this. You were telling me um, either on the last week's podcast or the one before about um, how gay people were celebrated in Nazi Germany. Oh, oh yeah. At the and, and the Soviet Union. And the Soviet Union. Yes. Yes. At the beginning. Yes. When they were in the ascendancy. Yes, they were. When they were useful for tearing down the, the, existing, culture. Down the existing culture. That's right. And once they, they solidified power, those people were sent to gulags and concentration camps or just lined up against the wall. Right. Right. And, and this is the, the message here. Right. This is all about political power. This isn't about they care about you. <laughs> right. This isn't about you're just a tool for power. Right. Right. As opposed to what we advocate for. All men are created equal. Right. 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 And we can have debates without force, coercion, or compulsion about what may be right or best or moral. We can have all those debates. But they're just debates in order to persuade people. Right. They're not force compelling people. You have to do this or you're off to the camp or we're going to line you up against the wall and shoot you. Right. Right. I I mean, this is a fundamental difference. It is. It's a very, very different way of looking at the world. It's. Yes. It's 180 degrees. Exactly. From from where you are and from where you and I are. Exactly. I think that's why, in part, that's why I wanted to do this podcast is because it's a way of thinking that is so absolutely foreign to any of us that they just even turning on the news and not going, what? Every five seconds as the next news story comes up, you know, I mean, it's 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 absolutely impossible to do. You look at these you look at these folks and you look at the things that they're doing. And it's like, how does that even enter your brain? I don't understand. You know, that's why I wanted us to, to explore this and to, to help folks understand that, because I mean, you've opened my eyes in, in many, many ways. And as to what may or may not be going through their heads. Uh, yes. right? <laughs> well, we've mentioned before. And this is not mean or pejorative. It's just observationally true that progressives, by and large, are the among the least intellectually curious people on the planet. I mean, the idea of read Bastiat, right? Read Mimesis, read Hayek, right? Read Milton Friedman, read Thomas Sowell. But if you read those things, you're going against the prevailing narrative, and everything is political. So therefore, well, reading it, those is an act of of defiance in and of itself, right? It, well, exactly. Yeah. But they won't read. I mean, I've right. I've read a lot of leftist books and literature. <laughs> You've I mean, done it so we don't have to. No, no, no. no. 
I think people should read all of it. I, I mean, I really do. I mean, people should not approach this from positions of guessing. Right. Read that Eagles of Marx called Jews racial trash. Yeah. Go read that. Right. Read that. Hitler pointed that out as his justification for national socialism. What Marx and Engels had to say about Jews. It's like this isn't a mystery. Right. Right. None of this is a mystery. Right. You know, I, I want to read something here. Kelly Oliver wrote. Kelly Oliver is a professor of philosophy at Vanderbilt. She has her own magazine. She's a best-selling author and she's a leading progressive. Okay. <laughs> and she says this far better than I could. She said, and she's talking specifically about the feminist aspects of progressivism, but it applies across the board. Feminist does. Okay. She said, feminist theory should be political tools, strategies for overcoming oppression in specific concrete situations. The goal then of feminist theory should be developed strategic theories, not true theories, not false theories, but strategic theories. This is the idea right. behind all this. It doesn't have to be true. It doesn't have to be false. It just has to be politically useful. Whatever, whatever it takes to if gain you need more to make something power. up, fine. Make it up. If you have to omit something, fine. Omit something. But the whole point here is to be politically useful in these these ideas and these words and these thoughts, not truthful. Right. I mean, that's really critical for people to leave. So truth is not a part of this for progressives. And I, I think I've, I think I've understood maybe instinctively what you're talking about when when you say they've divorced themselves from absolute truth and why that's bad. But that really explains it. Yes. That, that they'll pursue anything. And absolute truth means absolutely nothing as long as they get their end result. No, exactly. If, if they have to go out and say Chris cooks puppies for dinner. They have, I mean, seriously, they have no moral compunction saying that because what, what they have, they don't believe in moral agency. What what kind of puppy? I mean, <laughs> some are a little more tasty than others. <laughs> oh, I mean, they don't, they don't care. No, don't no, no, care. no. It's and, and I've, I've been on the, I have been on the receiving end, not, not the puppy comment, but I, I have been on the receiving end of that. Oh, absolutely. Times. Absolutely. And the thing is, it's not they don't care. It's that it's not relevant. Right. Right. It's not not part of the philosophy. It's not part of the ideology. It's not part of the strategy. It's not part of the practical political application. Right. Right. Truth, false. Those are not even things they admit are existent. I think the thing that I want to point out, and and you just really brought it to mind, and and I I want to make sure that that people understand our, our conversations so far have sounded pretty scholastic. Um, pretty academic. You know, I mean, we're, we're talking at 35,000 feet in a lot of cases, we're using a lot of big words and stuff, but this stuff has actual implications for people's day-to-day lives. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, it, impels, it impels action on the part of leftists. I mean, they talk about dog whistles. They're the ones who actually put them out. I mean, yes. obviously, yes. The projection is a huge part of the progressive identity, but, you know, they talk about dog whistles. They call for, for action and violence against, you know, the, this dehumanized other um, which is usually Republicans or conservatives in, in any way, shape or form. And the, their their minions do deliver on that action and violence. Well, they, they, right? uh, no, absolutely they do. And it, but there's, it's more pervasive than that. OK, so if you talk about this, we start out with is America a racist nation? Right. No, but companies, corporations all over this country are doing now diversity training. Yeah. Where they're saying America was a racist nation. They're repeating this nonsense. Yeah. And. I can't tell you how many white males have told me that they're not working corporations that have basically told them, we may not fire you, but you're not getting any more promotions. Yeah. Right. So the idea of 
promoting the best person, being colorblind is dying off in these corporations. Right. Right. Which means it's dying off in, in our society well, in large part. Maybe. Because right? I'll tell you what, I, yeah. I, I'm pretty confident some enterprising people are going to go, you know what? There's a lot of white males being shut out. Yeah. Who are really bright and talented. We can make a lot of money for the company. <laughs> with these people. I mean, I, I'm serious. I mean, there's, there's, if this keeps going down this path, that's, I'm sure that's what's going to happen. Well, I mean, just the concept of a meritocracy, which is really the soul of America you know, prior to, prior to the leftist takeover. It's, it's really the soul of America. Well, is a it's, meritocracy. it's important to understand progressives have redefined meritocracy. <laughs> and they've refined that in redefined terms meritocracy. because they refined it in terms of expertism. So I mean, this is very much how, how it has worked here. Okay. Academia okay. has created these artificial conditions for what is and what is not an expert okay. about anything. <laughs> yeah. Right? And, and so only you get to be an expert if you fulfill their conditions. And, and those so, conditions are letters behind your name and a certain number of, of seminar, certain number of hours of seminar instruction, publications. Well, yeah, whatever and, it may be. Yeah. And then, okay, the meritocracy is promoting those who fill the artificial, fulfill the artificial conditions to be an expert. And that's how they have redefined it. We are meritocracy. You just don't have the proper letters behind your name <laughs> to, to be promoted, right? I can, I can actually speak to this because I am like literally an expert. I, I testify as an expert. I, I get qualified as, and they use that word expert yes. in court. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm an accounting expert. That is what I do. And it's what I've done for 17 years. And there are certain things you, you go through when you go to testify in court, you have to, they present your qualifications right. and then, then they tender you up. You know, it's like you're the sacrificial lamb. Does this person meet the qualifications yes. of the court to yes. be allowed as, as an expert? Yes. So. I mean, I've never been denied. So, you know, I, I, I don't know how, how tightly they, they adhere to that, you know, like the judges in their minds, how tightly they adhere to that, or if they're even really aware of, you know, that that's really what's happening. But that is exactly what's happening. I'm being tendered up. Yes. And, and we use that, that word too, tender. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> to, to the court to, to determine whether or not I'm worthy to advise on accounting that yeah. I've been doing basically my whole life. So, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of funny, but that's one thing in a court context. And, and I, you know, my role is to, is as a, as an expert is to be there to advise the court, not to decree to the court that this is how you will do these things yeah. or to tell anybody, this is how these things, you know, must right. be done. I'm not there to do that. I'm there to explain accounting ease and yes. translate it into English for people who don't speak accounting right. ease. Oh. And that's not the way the experts in the technocracy, did I say that right? Um, in the technocracy, that's not how it works. Yeah. Um, they're there to just simply yeah. tell you how it's supposed to be done. I mean, wouldn't you agree that that's, that's their, the, the role of the expert, and I'm putting that in air quotes, in, in terms of the progressive left, that they, they anoint people to tell you how things are going to happen. Oh, yeah. You have to obey. Yeah, absolutely. Right. This is the whole whole point. Right. Uh, I think it was uh, Hayek who wrote that. Uh, well, he described this system and it said, at the end of the day, it's every man, a clerk in a bureaucracy, save one. Right. Right. That's, that's the end model. Right. <laughs> who who was the Nazi who just claimed that he was just. A oh, Albert Speer. Yeah. 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 At the Nuremberg trials later, he said, well, I was just a technocrat. Right. That was his, his response. Yeah. I wasn't an ardent Nazi. I didn't engage in 
slave labor. Yeah. I didn't work people to death, even though he had done all those things. His answer was just, I was just a technocrat. Right. Can't hold me really responsible. It's just following orders. Yeah. You know? Or or like Fauci, you know, just I was just following the science, you know, you just you just have to believe the science. Of course, I am science, uh, he's claimed as well. So, you know. Yeah, exactly. He's he's in my mind, if you want to post your child for for what we're talking about, Fauci would be it in a lot of ways. Yeah, in um, a lot of ways he is. You know, he's 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 a poster child. He's unelected. He has been declared by the Illuminati to be and I don't mean that literally, but, you know, yeah. he's been declared by the, the allegorical Illuminati to be the expert on the pandemic and all that. Forget the, that he started it. Forget that it was his funding that, that created it. His, you know, forget all of that. Forget that he was wrong every single step of the way. So, so let me suggest, right, this takes us right back to the denial of moral agency. Okay. Fauci, what he says, what he does, and the esteem people hold him in is because of political agency. Not moral agency. Because he had the, the amount of power to actually shut down the United States economy on his word alone. Yeah. He's like a god to them, right? Yeah, kind exactly. Of, exactly. Know? Fauci was the model of how progressives think the world should operate. That's terrifying. Yeah, but it's true. Right? This is the idea. We have an expert. We do what he says. I don't have to know. I don't have to decide. And most of all, I'm not responsible. Right. I just have to do what he says. I mean, this is the model. It's this again. I, I can't emphasize this enough. It's the forsaking of any moral agency. I am not accountable for my moral decisions. Yeah. They don't matter. I only have to do what is political agency. And so, I mean, that's that's a really awful place for us to be. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know where to go with go from there. I, I want to take it back to this charge of racism, though, because that's that's ostensibly what this podcast was supposed to be about today. So. You know, I mean, they they're holding themselves up as, you know, political expedients being the being the uh, the litmus test. You know, if, it, if it's politically expedient, then it's good. Yes. And if it's not politically expedient, then it's racist. Well, if it's not politically expedient, it's something. It's racist. It's homophobic. It's hate filled. It's fascist. You can just list off whatever terms that you see use any given hour of the day. I kind of feel like they have a little bingo card like with those spinners on it that they just spin it, yeah. you know, to, to yeah. tell you which yeah. one they're going to get. No, exactly. And so, come but, so but far the important out of point to understand here is why they do this it has nothing to do with you being a racist. Not that there aren't racists in the world. There are. Right. But it has nothing to do. And they're often on the left, but they won't admit that part. But well, well, yeah, it has nothing to do with that. It has no, it has nothing, nothing to do with that. that. has to do. Yeah. And at the core, it has nothing to do with that because they deny moral agency. Okay. They only believe in political agency. So if I said Chris has green hair and purple skin and seven arms, they would all just nod their heads up and down. Because if that's what's politically required, right. they all go with that. It's like a friend of mine calls them bobbleheads. <laughs> yeah. right? You just bump uh -huh. them a little bit uh -huh. and the head just goes up and down forever. Yeah, I mean, that's really what it is. And so, yeah, what, what people who are absorbing this, this ideology of American progressivism mm -hmm. are doing is saying, okay, I'm forsaking my moral agency. I don't have to think about this. I don't have to worry. Is this right or wrong? Are my decisions affecting others adversely? Right. No, it's only political agency. And political agency, somebody else is making that decision for me. Right. I don't have to worry about it. So let me ask you this, and then you tell me if this is a subject for another podcast or if this is something that you can cover quickly. CRT, critical race theory. <laughs> How does that fit into all of this? Uh, it's kind of at the core now. 
Okay. Yeah, I mean, it really is kind of at the core of all this, right? So critical race theory, there are a number of critical theories that come out of Marxist law theory. Okay. So this started out with Marxist lawyers. Okay. Okay. And the idea that racism isn't actually racism and anti-racism isn't actually anti-racism. It is racism. But that is all situation dependent upon what the political needs are. That's the whole idea behind CRT. So this, this is really dangerous, not only because what they have adopted is anybody who doesn't agree with them is a racist. Okay. okay. But anybody at any time can be deemed a racist, depending on what their political needs are. Right. So you and I both know African-Americans who have been called white supremacists. Yeah. Because they won't buy into this. Happens every day. Happens every day. Yeah. Right. And so. And they're called many worse things than white supremacists. Yeah, the they are. Version. No, no, yeah. Exactly. But, but yeah, the idea that somebody who is an African-American is also a white supremacist, yeah. it shows the. That's just the absurdity of it, that there is no intellectual or moral depth to any of this. It is simply what is politically expedient today. And tomorrow, the, the people right now who are buying into this could very well be the ones that they're calling racist if they find that politically expedient to do. One of the things you find here in all these systems, everywhere it's ever been implemented, everywhere it's ever acquired sufficient power, the people have supported it on the way up. Yeah, they're not the first ones lined up on the wall or thrown the gulags, but they're the second. Yeah. Right. Because they, they have a set of beliefs that they thought were going to be true that turned out not to be true. Right. And that poses a problem for these people. <laughs> so the true believers. Uh, yeah. The true yeah. Believers in. Yeah. The, the first people against the wall are me. The second people against the wall are the true believers. Right. Because they, they actually expect something. Right. That they're not going to get. So you thought there was an end game here and it's it's the end it, game is nothing to do with that. No, or it has nothing. To, exactly. It's nothing to do with that. It's just like Nazis and communists had nothing to do with gay rights. Right. Right. <laughs> that was just a tool it's they used because they found it politically expedient. But that's that's why gay rights doesn't have anything to do with gay rights here in the U.S. Exactly. right now. Trans right. All of this. No, it has nothing. No, no. It's just what they find to be politically expedient today. Right. So their 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 political aim at, at this stage is tearing down anything that resembles a stable society based on, you know, classical thought over the last 5000 years. Exactly. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Any any tradition. Yeah. Right. Any anything institution that is part of the existing culture. Right. Yeah, tear that down. It's just like, I mean, it doesn't have to be the classical thought model. It doesn't have to be democracy. It doesn't have to be the idea that all men are created equal. Because they, they tore the czar and that whole Russian system down just as enthusiastically as they are trying to tear down our system. Right. Mao tore down traditional Chinese culture just as enthusiastically as progressives are trying to destroy our culture. Like I mentioned before, Ho Chi Minh. Long before the United States was involved in Vietnam, Ho Chi Minh, North Vietnam, shortly after Dien Bien Phu, went to all 15,000 hamlets in North Vietnam and executed the largest landowner and the eldest person in that hamlet. 30,000 people killed in cold blood for nothing more than how much land they owned and their age. Because land ownership and the elders were revered in traditional Vietnamese culture, and that was the quickest way he could find to... You couldn't have anything that was revered or respected. That's right. More than their political expediency. Exactly. So I'm going to destroy traditional Vietnamese culture. Traditional Vietnamese culture reveres land ownership and the elderly. So I'm going to kill the largest landowner 
and the oldest person in 15,000 hamlets. So let's let's do a thought experiment here. Just well, let's let's take the racism piece. Okay, so you know they've got you know folks who who go out and they espouse the CRT, this this critical race theory in the schools on on television news wherever, people calling other people racists and right. and white supremacists and all that kind of stuff to to achieve their political ends. Let's just as a thought experiment, they achieve that political end, okay? Let's let's say that the, the Democrats achieve I'm going to mispronounce this word because I've only ever read it. Hegemony? Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Hegemony in, in the United States government and in all the states' governments. Okay. So they have political power now. Right. Who's going to be the first on the chopping block? It's going to be the people who espoused all that crap on the way up because they revere race more than they do the political expediency of those who are in well, power now. Right? Well, yeah. Yeah. It, it. Yeah, the people on the shopping block. Well, first people up would be you and I. Yeah, well, I mean, we already, yeah. that's a given. Yeah, that's yeah. a given. Second people know. up would be I those people. I hope we get adjacent cell blocks. Well, that's all I'm asking for. <laughs> Second people on the block would be people who genuinely believe them. Right. Thought these things were true. Found right. out they're not. Right, and that the ascending powers to be, powers that be are not revering race and, no, 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 and no, no, reparations no. and all the things that they're no, espousing. No, no. They, the only thing they revere is their own power. Exactly. That's, that's the bottom line. But when you understand everything, and I mean everything in the universe, their intent is to subjugate it to their own power. Right. Because they have visions in their mind of how things should be. And they have this heartfelt delusion that they're the only ones who can make things the way they should be. Mm-hmm. And anybody gets in their way is obviously the enemy. That's just the basic model. We see that now. People who are engaging in that, though, the rank and file people who consider themselves to be progressives don't see that. No. Because they have no historical context, which we discussed before. Why it's important for progressives and Nazis and communists and fascists to take away the historical context. Because then people might understand that this has people happened would, before and it didn't turn it, out so well. Ex- exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It just makes you cry. Well, it just makes you cry. So I well, Or it makes you laugh. I, I laugh because otherwise I would be crying. You know, if I had had a couple more beers. I might be crying. I don't know. Um, I mean, it's just it's sad. How do you push back on this? Well, I think there's a lot of ways without ending up on the chopping block. Well, I, no, I think there's a lot of ways you effectively push back. First of all, okay. you recognize like the fellow who had the Che Guevara screensaver. Right. Right. Did he actually know anything about any of this? No. Of course not. No, no. Most people are progressives because they think their friends are progressives. Right. It's just a lot of tr- social pressure is something the left. No, no, that's, that's just lot. the truth. Yeah. Right. They, they have put nearly zero thought or knowledge or inquiry or exploration right. or research and understanding any of this. I'm told they shouldn't. They that they should leave all that up to the experts. No, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And my friends think like this. So I'm going to think like this. I mean, it really is a huge part of it. So most of those people are, I think, pretty reachable. Right. OK. Now, there's people here who. Yeah, are just hardcore. They believe this. And, and just I wouldn't worry about those people. Yeah. Right. Probably based on some surveys, probably less than 8% of the American electorate. So we know that. Yeah. It's the hard voters, the, the, the ones in the middle who. Yeah. yeah well, I, I would guess 80% of the country is not progressive. Oh, I, I'd say it's more than that. Yeah. I really think it's higher than that. The, I mean, the, the true, true, true lefties. The really, really loud yeah. ones who protest in front of the Supreme Court and scream when Donald Trump is elected is elected president and then become a meme. You know, those those people, less than eight percent, maybe even less than that. Yeah. Uh, and those people who never moved to Canada when they promised to. Well, <laughs> or get off Twitter. I mean, yeah. 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 But, but yeah, I mean, so most of America is reachable. Yeah. I think a lot of it's just 
having these conversations about what this is. Right. Right. And I watched a film recently that I had not seen in 40 years. That was actually, it's a very good film. It's called The 49th Parallel. Okay. And it was made early on in World War II. It's a British and Canadian film uh, made before the United States got into the war. Oh, wow. In 1941. Okay. And without giving too much of the movie away, it's, it's an old movie. It's basically, the plot is these uh, a handful of these German Nazi submariners mm-hmm. get stranded from their submarine on the coast of Hudson's Bay in Canada. Oh. And they go on this spree of murdered robbery across Canada, trying to avoid apprehension because, you know, Canada's at war with Germany. Right. Right. And uh, if you were to make that movie today, it would probably be some really hokey action film. <laughs> yeah. But that's not what they did. Okay. In 1941, it's got a stellar cast. Okay. I mean, it has a wonderful cast of British and Canadian actors. What they did was they had these Nazi sailors as they went across Canada continually repeating to themselves this Nazi ideology. Okay. And all the time, they're continuously meeting people in Canada who refute that ideology, not by yelling and screaming at each other. They refuted that ideology with their very lives. Right. How they live their lives refuted Nazi ideology. I think there's a lesson on that for all of us. How we live our lives refutes progressivism, right? If we search after what is beautiful and useful, and honorable and noble, they're, they're not doing that. We should make the point to seek after those things and show that contrast. So not get sucked into their everything is political. No, no, refute everything is political. We should be exercising our moral agency. Right. And we should be showing how our moral decisions led us to happier, healthier, more profitable, more useful, more fulfilling lives in which we're thriving while these people are terminally unhappy. And by and large, they are terminally they unhappy. Really are. They yeah. really are. And so the best thing you could do is be honorable and be happy. I like that. Right? I mean, that's how you refute this nonsense of progressivism. It's going to be anyway, so it's not out of my way. It's kind of nice. Yeah, but... no, be honorable and be happy. And let everybody know you're happy. I mean, I, I posted on Facebook. I said, life is good and people should be happy. And I got a lot of pushback from people. Really? Well, well you don't know. People should be happy. All these bad things are happening. Blah, 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 blah. And I said, do you deny the moral agency that you have a choice to be happy? That's the question. Do they have a good response? <laughs> no. <laughs> of course not. But, but really, <laughs> we need to understand this, right? If you're going to be happy, it's a moral decision. Yeah. It's a decision you make. And by denying they have the moral agency to even be happy, they become utterly miserable people so often. Right. Right. Because they're waiting on politics to make them happy. I don't need politics to make me happy. Politics can make me unhappy. But politics has never in my life made me happy. It's made me breathe a sigh of relief. Yes. Maybe once or twice. (laughs) But yeah, no, No, I I Politics is not the source of joy. I totally agree. And life, right? It's all these other things. And we, we need to go, not just say that, we need to go live that. Exactly. Yeah. Be the example. Be the change you want to see in the world. (laughs) (laughs) To throw out a cliche. That's right. Buy the world of Coke. Well, (laughs) (laughs) great. Now I'm going to have the song from the the Coke commercial stuck in my head all day. (laughs) Oh, that's, but that's a great observation. And I think that it is a danger in in this day and age to get sucked into that political, everything is political thought process. It's very easy to go there. Yeah, it it is. And then, Lots of people on the Republican side, on the conservative side, libertarian side, utterly and totally sucked into that model. I, I'm going to admit right now that prior to, to moving out of Denver, 
prior to moving out of Denver, that's exactly where I was. 24-7, 365, I was politics. And that's all I was. And and it is a miserable way to live. It, 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 is. it and is. Yeah, there's so much more to life. Yeah. I mean, I, yes, I spend, you know, typically 100, 150 nights a year in a sleeping bag. Yeah. Out in the backcountry. Yeah. Someplace. Right. There's, there's zero bullshit there. <laughs> it is just life is just what it is. Maybe, uh, maybe I've had over decades encounters with bears, encounters with lions, and encounters with some crazy people. <laughs> but the bears and the lions don't care about politics. No, no, no nothing all. out there cares about politics. Yeah. It's just a natural world yeah. where things are what they are. And you learn to fit and adapt and live and thrive in that natural world or you don't. And we have encountered this model that far too many have embraced that this natural world just doesn't exist. We have purely a political world and we need to just absolutely refute that idea. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking back to in my early twenties when I lived in rural Alaska, I lived in the bush and I was out there for two years and it it was very much like that. And, and I was, I worked in the city government for the town that I was in. Town had 500 people. It wasn't a huge job, but still you, you spent every day, the very first consideration you had was for your survival <laughs> because Alaskan winters are everything that they're written up to be. Um, you know, making sure that you had enough food and you had enough heat and that, you know, everybody around you was good. And, and you know, engaging in that community yes. um, completely absent of any politics. And like I say, even though I was involved in city government and I, I ran a couple of elections when I was there, it still was... It was about the town. It was about the community. It was about surviving in the Alaskan wilderness. Very yeah. much like that. That is a, a great way to live in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. And, and so I totally get what you're saying. That's yeah. fascinating. I love yeah. it. I love yeah, let's it. just refute this whole idea that everything is political. Refute the idea you have no moral agency. Right. Refute nihilism. Yes, refute nihilism. Kick Nietzsche to the, to the curb. Be happy. Be happy. Be happy. <laughs> I think we have a new theme song. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, next time, let's delve into, obviously, we'll continue to, to cover these subjects, you know, from different angles. The one thing that I think I and I hope I'm springing this on you. So I hope that this, this is amenable to you. I right. really like to cover what you have termed as the Indian problem. And okay. putting that in air quotes. Um, and, and let's talk about, I mean, this is obviously something that's near and dear to your heart. You are Cherokee. And I think that the, the history of it, as you've relayed a lot of it to me, points up a lot of the, the hope and some of the problems that, that we're working to overcome within uh, the U.S. Well, I'll give a teaser then. Okay. The history of the Indian nations in this country mm -hmm. is a history of the federal government abandoning the Constitution and replacing that with whatever they think was a good idea. <laughs> that doesn't I sound mean, familiar. Yeah, right? that, that's really what it is. I mean, these are lessons to be learned. Okay. From okay. what happened here. Okay. Well, then we will explore those lessons next time. Okay. Keith, thank you so much for, for this discussion today. As always, you're the Indian. I'm the cowgirl. <laughs> <laughs> and we will talk to you guys next time. Thank you. Thank you.